Hey guys, this is Bill Farrell with this is another episode of Rock Bottom to Recovery podcast. Um, episode, I'm pretty sure it's 24, and this is our third and last, um, well, for the time being, um, episode where we're talking about marijuana, um, the recreational um, marijuana legally, which uh, pot shops open. Uh, July 1st. Actually, I think they started issuing license this week. Our guest today is Heidi Heilman. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Did I say that Thanks. right? You did. Heilman. As we, <laughs> so, um, as you can see, Heidi's right here coming off of my iPad because we were having a little bit of te- technical <laughs> difficulty. So, she looks very tiny, but um, uh, we couldn't get her up onto the big TV um, so we had to adapt and overcome. That's what we do and um, here at Rock Bottom to Recovery. And so uh, Heidi's going to um, talk about what she does and her involvement in the um, legalization of recreational marijuana here in the state. Heidi, uh, last week we had Henny Lastly from Smart Colorado. She was calling in from Colorado. Heidi is actually from uh, New England, and um, they've been pretty proactive leading up to the um, July 1st um, Shop opening, uh, working on legislation policies. Is that correct, Heidi? Yes. So, uh, Heidi, why don't you um, tell us um, who you are and what you do, how you got um, connected in with Sam, and then as you were just saying, we're, we're going to get um, your uh, the logo up onto the TV behind us for everybody to see. And if anybody's um, – Real quick, Heidi, if, if anybody's watching, we are on Facebook Live, but we're also on podcast and uh, iTunes. So, um, Heidi, hit it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks great. for coming on. Thanks for coming on. We've had, we have a long story. We have, a, we have an interesting story. Um, I came out of the prevention and, um, you know, addiction prevention, addiction and treatment field, have been in my, my entire career. And back in 2011, um, there were a whole, a whole host of us like myself who were working, we still are working at the community level to prevent. We were really in the prevention, way upstream from where treatment and recovery is, but to prevent onset and, and, um, and delay onset of, of drug use and addiction for young people. And we were all sitting around a room and we all were baffled about what was happening with um, the movement to soften marijuana laws, given what we knew about the harms of marijuana to our young people. And at that time, um, we had already passed decriminalization and we were looking at medical marijuana passing or, or at least a medical marijuana ballot initiative here. And we were looking also, we knew recreational was coming. So a whole host of people from across the state joined together and we started the Massachusetts Prevention Alliance. And it was folks in the prevention field, in the recovery and treatment field. Massachusetts Organization for Addiction Recovery was at the table. Um, we had um, the law enforcement at the table. We had public health people at the table, um, medical people at the table. And we started to really rally and mobilize. And we've been an all-volunteer organization yep. since, since our inception. Um, and our money that we have raised in the past has been to help with advocating and educating on um, the harms of marijuana, the um, it, making sure that the public was informed about what was happening and what the laws were going to, how they were going to change, what they were going to 
change into. Um, and we did a whole host of work. We were we were in, we were kind of central in the um, opposition to medical marijuana passing, and we were central to the um, recreational um, ballot passing, passing, knowing what was in that law and and where what where we would land. So um, in all that work. At the time, um, Sam hadn't started. Smart Approach to Marijuana had not started. And I um, <clears throat> I connected with Dr. Kevin Sabet, who was coming out of the White House administration as a policy advisor and um, had real concerns about marijuana and had been working with other states to mobilize um, in getting information out to the public about this drug and what THC um, addiction looks like and THC harms look like. So... Um, we started to talk and we started to um, connect a whole bunch of us. And at the same time, MAPA started um, a cup of, uh, I don't know, about a year or maybe two years later, Sam was born. And so, and we were, um, that was an idea that we were, we all knew had to happen nationally, Sam, we needed an organization that was going to really hold this and hold accountability on, um, on marijuana laws and what was happening. Um, with uh, all this movement to kind of commercialize an industrial industry under and, and, and um, provide it with government protection to do so. So um, that's where it started. And so we became an affiliate of SAM um, when we've done a, a ton of work with them. They're a wonderful, wonderful organization and really connected strongly with both public health and the public safety um, groups across the country and, and internationally. Point. We've been we've been to the U United Nations together. Wow. So uh, so just so people understand, um, Heidi, when you say you guys got to jump on this, when you talk about um, you guys starting back when, did you say when marijuana was being decriminalized? Um, right after that, we so, we were the wheel on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so just so people that are watching, um, that was in two thousand and eight, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, when um. When you say you guys were jumping on this, you were on this long, long before, um, before recreational even the ballot question four came out. You guys were really, um, I didn't realize that you guys were involved. Like, well, I say to people all the time, there is no money to be made in not selling addictive commodities and addictive right. drugs. So it's been a, a Herculean effort. It's really a story of David and Goliath, and and um, we. We have small achievements that are, as they pile up, they're pretty outstanding. And um, one of the reasons we had such a strong team leading the No on Four um, with our governor and, and the AG and, and the mayor was because of our work in the, in the background and kind of preparing people and letting people know about this and really, really informing people a few years ahead to, to line that to line that power up. And it was really unfortunate that we lost. And now we're working with um, advocating, educating at the local levels to let people know about what their options are and what they can do. And, um, and in our minds, you know, we are, we really have the worst law in the country. Um, in Colorado, um, their law, um, their law allowed towns, their law did not mandate towns to, um, embrace commercialization. Their law um, made it so that towns had to opt in to that scheme. And in Massachusetts, our law requires and mandates that all towns embrace it. And, and unless they want to go through a very cumbersome 
municipal process and town vote and town, um, just a whole town uh, process of of opting out. Opting out, and right? Yeah. This is the only this is the only law in the country that that has been been structured that way. And I'll also let you know that the people that wrote Amendment 64 in Colorado are the same people after they pushed in and advocated and um, there were sa the same people were involved in writing our law yep. with lessons learned about what happened in Colorado because what happened in Colorado is not all towns. In fact, the majority of towns did not opt in and only roughly around 30% of the communities in Colorado opted in. So they, they le took lessons learned and they came and they wrote a law that really works in the industry's favor, is right. for the industry and protects the industry. And, um, and now we're watching kind of it unfold. I think, I think people are now scrambling to um, learn what is really at stake and people are starting to catch on and that's why you're seeing community after community determine that this is not going to be the right direction to take. And and we're looking at a soaring opioid epidemic, right, in Massachusetts and across the country. And and the, all the science, data point after data point after data point, shows that tobacco, alcohol, and marijuana combined are the foundational features yes. of opioid addiction. And so we're really coming in and promoting recreational marijuana use is really the opposite direction and, and completely counterproductive to what we want to do in addressing and reducing the opioid um, addiction epidemic. So, the, you know, that is, and, and that's essential. And, and, and what people haven't looked at, and, or, or I shouldn't say it that way. What I would like to say is what we are trying to um, increase awareness about is, is with all of these addictive commodities, so any sort of drug that has an addictive component, they, um, they need to be regulated and controlled differently than all other commodities, whether legal or legal or illegal. So in this case, when you look at marijuana and what's about to come, we know we can watch from our tobacco and our alcohol and our opioids, all our legal drugs, we can, we can predict that opening up a commercial marijuana market, the way we have with those other commodities, we're looking and getting prepared for a THC epidemic as big as the opioid epidemic because it's um, it's just a it's an addictive drug and and we also know from the science of the developing the de developing brain that young people are highly susceptible to becoming dependent on these drugs because of the way the brain science works. So that's that's kind of where we're at and we're. We're trying to move it away from the individual choice um, part of this. And I really want people to start to look at this like pollution control. It wasn't until the river in Cleveland was on fire before we started to put um, legislation and, and really push for accountability on the industries that were dumping chemicals and toxins into our water supply. Yep. And so to expect, you know, and you have to do that to, 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 so that the rivers don't burn. And right now our, our, our uh, addiction epidemic, our river's on fire with yeah. addiction and to, to actually curtail that and, and slow that river down and make it more narrow. So no, not as many people are, are kind of falling into it. We have to look way upstream and start to hold industry and government accountable um, for the addictive drugs that are flowing through our communities. And we need to reduce the exposure, the harm exposures. And to do that is to really start to control it differently. And, um, and to expect that our kids are not going to become addicted to these drugs when we flood our communities with with these drugs is like expecting our kids not to experience any health hazards 
if our water supply is full of toxins and we just tell them to drink bottled water. Just drink bottled water, you'll be fine. So yeah. it's not a choice, and we know that, and we can't rely on luck to get our kids through anymore. We have to put measures in place. So measures like no lobbying, no marketing. We know enough about marketing and all the public health science tells us that marketing, um, even alcohol, can, um, can trigger relapse. I mean, they've done studies on this, that when you have people in recovery and, and you've got an uh, advertisement on television coming on, you know, pouring a beer into a glass, of, um, into a glass that can trigger a relapse. There's been enough, and that's, that's how the brain works. We've, we train our brains at young ages to rely on these drugs and for, for a, chemical, a chemical reaction that we have normally in our, our, our brains. But once we expose our brains to, to, these, to this kind of chemical reaction, it really starts to rewire things, and right. we get ourselves. The the brain uh, the brain the brain kind of creates that routine, and you you just it's it's habitual, and um, you know that. Yeah, and the brain. The brain. I mean, we teach our brain that, um, and the way it works with addictive drugs is, it becomes the most important thing, above food, above yes. above all else, and that's that's not a choice. That's just a chemical reaction based on the dopamine levels that are, that shoot up as soon as you introduce, um, an, you know, these kind of addictive, um, drugs. So with opioids or tobacco or with, um, with marijuana and each one is at a different level, but you're, as soon as you start to expose your brain to that, you have these chemical changes where your brain is no longer naturally producing dopamine. Right. It robust, you know, the drug starts to shoot it up and, and their brain goes, Oh, this is, this is great. I need this for survival. Right, right. <clears throat> it's you know, a Heidi. I was at a conference. Um, uh, was it uh, about a week and a half ago? And it was a couple of um, psychologists from the Home Base Foundation, and in the um, the um, psychiatrist was explaining what you were just talking about the brain, um, and the um, and she was explaining it as in in pretty much simple terms, as far as like the dopamine and and. Um, you know, you drink water and you eat food, you get a little bit of dopamine. The brain tells the body this is good and you need this. And so now you cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, you're getting a little bit more dopamine and the brain saying, oh, this is good. And, and what people don't under what I try to explain to people um, when they really like are hammering uh, these people that are struggling with the uh, with the opioid addiction is that. The dopamine that gets released in the brain is is the the amount is so huge that the um, as as the psychiatrist uh, put it, um, the the brain hijacks the body and tells the body if you do not get this you will die. Yeah. And so as you know, I was just telling you right before we kicked this off, I I'm a correction officer, and so when um, when these people are coming in off the streets, they haven't eaten. They haven't showered. They haven't. Um, they haven't done anything. They look absolutely horrendous. And um, and the reason is is because the brain is telling them you have to. This this is above food, above water. Um, it's above the, the necessities of life. And and that's the power of addiction. And now, I, I you know I we lost sixty eight thousand. It was just over sixty eight thousand. I think in twenty seventeen. Yeah. And. Um, and I and I've said this a few times on the on the podcast. Uh, if somebody wants to know what that looks like, um, Gillette Stadium holds like sixty eight thousand two hundred and something 
seats. And um, you lost a whole stadium of people in this country a year um, last year. A whole stadium of people. And then I was telling somebody that, and they said, now throw in the family members and the friends. How right. many stadiums would that fill? And well, it has, it, and it's become the number one killer of um, people under the age of 50. Yep. Is a drug, drug use and drug overdose. And I'll also say this. It's that phenomenon that you just talked about with the dopamine levels and the way the brain chemistry works with these addictive commodities that um, has enabled industry to do a couple things. One is to manufacture addicts out of young people. Yep. That's essentially what we do. And it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, so, so you're going to get a, 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 the, their business plans built on the fact that we're going to get capture this amount of young people who are going to become daily repeat users of our products, which is really profitable and really good for business. Right. But it's not good for that person. It's not good for the community. It's not good for society. And the costs involved with that, along with loss of life, are just way much. They, they dwarf what any sort of tax revenue would come would bring in. And we know that from all the tobacco and all the alcohol information. People have no idea that the alcohol industry, 75% of the alcohol that is sold in the United States is is um, consumed by 10% of the population. Right. And that 10% drinks 75 drinks a week. Wow. It's, 10, it's 10 drinks a day. And that's really good for a business, right? To have somebody repeat your and, and purchase your purchase your your product ten times a day. But we know that that drives incarceration, drunk driving, you know, DUIs, um, death rates on all on all levels of alcohol induced um, tragedies. Right, um, right. It, it drives welfare service needs. It drives child like um, foster care service needs. I mean. We have a colossal problem with alcohol in this country, and and we don't and the public doesn't even have this information. People don't know that ten percent of the population is consuming seventy five percent of the alcohol in this country, right. and right. and that's that's a pretty big and 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 if we move that and and look at that and now we're going to do that with THC. What does THC addiction at a mass population look like when we know that THC has associations with psychosis, with mental health issues, with suicide, with um, lower IQ, with brain structural changes. Now the science revealing that even um, it can be passed in utero to offspring of mothers who have used marijuana long after they've stopped using marijuana. They can have, their children can have brain structural changes from the chemical from the chemical changes that happened while they were using cannabis. I just Those read, are... Heidi, I just read somewhere that, um, and I don't know how true this is, you're obviously much more educated in this field than I am, but um, that doctors were um, uh, suggesting it for nausea for pregnant women. That's, yes. that's, yeah. I, that's absolutely crazy. And it wasn't, I don't, I don't think, um, it wasn't necessarily doctors. It was it was people that were selling medical marijuana in Colorado. A survey was done in Colorado where they um, learned that um, that these dispensaries were recommending it for for pregnant women. Heidi, before before I know there's people watching us right now, and uh, 
but can you just talk a little bit about the THC? Because the majority of people that I run into, they're like, oh, it's harmless. You know, people are thinking about the plant that we smoked uh, when we were younger, which, you know, the level there was maybe 2 to 3%. Um, I, now that they, you know, they have different strains, they, they really have this down to a science where yeah. the potency is so much higher in the plant. But one of the main issues that comes into play is when they pull those oils out of the plant and the potency is off the chart. So you literally, the, the, the um, young people today, um, you know, they're no longer smoking a plant anymore. They're, they're literally vaping and um, they're... Yes, the high, it's the high potency concentrates that they're using. And, it's, and they can be upwards of 80 to 90% THC, even higher than that. It's, it's very, very scary what's happening. And, you know, we have... It, it, it's the same play as what tobacco did. They right. brought people into laboratories and figured out how to how to increase the addictiveness of nicotine and then how to um, uh, uh, kind of produce delivery systems. So the cigarette became a delivery system to get nicotine as fast as possible to the user's brain. So that's, you know, they're doing that through vaping now. And, and you know, all, all of this is untested. All of this, as we look at what's happened in Colorado, is showing that this is really not the direction to go in. And when you talked about earlier about the dopamine levels and how, you know, the dopamine shoots up so high that your brain starts to get excited and think, I need this to survive. Well, what happens over time is the dopamine, the drug that you're using, whether it's tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, over time and over regular repeated use, the dopamine, dopamine doesn't, start to, doesn't respond to it as, as well. And then you start to actually, you just need it to even feel normal. And even then, it doesn't, after a while, you don't even feel normal anymore. And that is when people introduce a new drug. Because the drug they're using and have been using is no longer working for them. So when people talk about the gateway theory, I, I tell people, you know, that term is, is, is obsolete at this time. Because we know from, we know it's brain neural pathways. They're, they're foundational features because they're carving a pathway in the brain for a, a, a process to take place that is predictable. Right. And not every user, not every cannabis user is going to become an opioid addict. Right. But we do know that those, those areas of the brain, the cannabinoid and the opioid systems of the brain are intimately connected. And when you modify one, you automatically modify the other. They, where, where cannabinoids bind in the brain, opioids bind in the same cells. So what does that mean? Well, we, it, I, I, I've talked to researchers like, give me the soundbite. How do I explain this to people? And what I, what I, what I can get, get it down, dumbed down to is that early exposure to cannabis use to anybody's brain, so a teen use, um, blunts the brain sensitivity to, for the opioid. So when a young person is using at a, uh, in, in the ages between anywhere before the age 23 to 25, cannabis, they become more at risk of becoming um, addicted to the opioids and having a different reaction to the opioid when they take it for whatever, a tennis elbow or a skiing accident or you know, whatever happens. And then that moves to, you can't afford that anymore. You can't get access to it. And now you've got heroin that can be smoked right off a tin piece of tin foil, which is a, a behavior that's very much like using marijuana. So there's all sorts of, you know, 
similarities there where it's really easy to take that next step to heroin. So that's kind of this process that the science is all revealing. Yep. Um, but there's industry marketing and trying to advance the sale of these products because it's incredibly profitable. It's right. billion dollar business on both sides of it. So you got alcohol, right? You have alcohol making their billions just legally, but you also have a great alcohol market through our underage drinking, right? Our underage drinking rates are abysmal. Right. And the same with cigarettes. People don't understand that more cigarettes are sold illegally in New York state than legally. They're just because of the tax base. And, and that's, that's happening here in Boston. So, and I saw some headlines about it a couple of years ago in the Boston Globe. And, um, and that's, that's what's going to happen with cannabis. Um, a legal market drives the black market. Right. It's just through the back door. And, and what's, uh, what's sad is that it's going to be at the cost of our children. And, you know, I, I, I've said last week, and I'll say it again today, if you're 21 and over and you want to smoke marijuana, smoke marijuana. Uh, I don't certainly have a problem with that. But uh, we haven't even opened pot shops yet. Um, and we've already had issues with kids uh, uh, under 21 um, who have been driving and, and have, have been in accidents. Um, some of them have been documented. Um, were access to edibles. Um, and that was literally right in the same month that ballot question four passed. You had, um, you had uh, five kids, five or six kids from West Roxbury High. I don't think it's called West Roxbury High anymore, but... Um, they ended up in the emergency room because of edibles. And you know what's amazing to me, um, Heidi, is uh, is the response. People are like, oh, so what? It's just marijuana. Nobody's ever died. Um, get over it. People just don't, uh, you know, it, sometimes uh, I, it makes me nuts because these are your kids. You should be able to send your kid to school and not have to worry about they're going to eat a cookie or something where they end up in the emergency room. And it's And it's already happened. We haven't even opened the pot shops. Uh, it's already happened. There's already accidents. Um, Walpole, I mentioned this last week, um, one of the stores in Walpole's was selling um, CBD's yummies, which were shaped just like gummy bears, um, and they were being sold in the store. They're not even, they weren't even supposed to be sold yet, and and um, and they weren't even packaged properly. Uh, they didn't have, they did have THC in it. And so, I mean, and Walpole's been very active in trying to um, stay on top of it in their community and to regulate it, make sure. They'd actually, I think they opted out um, so there'll be no marijuana whatsoever sold in their town. Right. But, but can you just talk a little bit, um, Heidi, about um, the medical side of it? Because everybody's like, oh, medically, it's, you know, it's going to do all these wonderful things. What people don't understand is that there's really not t too much um, – medical benefits from the THC, if I understood correctly. Um, it's it's the CBD part of the um, component of the plant that um, has um, had some medical benefits. Do you have information on that? There have been studies that are showing that CBD has a lot of potential, but that's not the, that's, and, and it's interesting when you look at the, when you look at the um, studies and what's happening with the plant with all their hybrid production processes. It's the THC that you're watching rise, the potency of the plant rise over time, not the CBD, which has, is showing some medicinal value. Um, it's a, it's a tough one. That's a real tough one. It's, um, it's, uh, you know, I understand the compassionate side of that and, right. and allowing people to, to use it for relief of pain. But, you know, when I look at what's happening in America and America's, um, pain, 
you know, people are looking for quick fixes and that's why our opioid, you know, if you, you look at our opioid and our medicine and fat level, our medicine, medicinal use and, and our, our use for, you know, behavioral things that our kids are having and, and ADHD and, you know, it's, it's, it's unique to find a young person who's not on some sort of medication these days. And, um, and, and so it's very, very complicated. What I will say is that this is a trillion dollar business selling drug products. And I, I tell my kids all the time, it's like a conveyor belt. If you're going to start using these products. First you get on there and you're using some addictive drugs. So you're using, you know, in high school, marijuana and alcohol, and that moves to something else. And, and, um, you know, cocaine is right behind it. I don't know if you've heard in the headlines, but cocaine's coming up and methamphetamine is getting big and you're going to have, we're going to have this and opioids. And then you're on this conveyor belt and now they're going to treat you with Suboxone or, you know, whatever to get you off that. And you're still on that conveyor belt. And guess what? You are an, an incredibly valuable unit of profit for the industry. Right. And you just stay in there for your lifetime. And so the best thing for kids and parents is to say, you know what? When you've got your, um, you know, there, there's so many pieces to this. Uh, don't don't introduce these drugs to your brain. Do as much as you can au natural. And, and, and I think... The other thing is parents don't understand, you know, that they can say no to their doctors when their doctors prescribe their 14-year-olds OxyContin for the, the oral surgery they just had. They can say no, say, you know what, I'm going to try, try ibuprofen and Tylenol. And that's what we used when we were kids. We didn't even have access to opioids. They weren't even, they weren't even out there yet when I was a young person, which tells you how old I was. But, right. um, or how old I am now. But um, it's, a, it's a big problem. So I, I think we have allowed industry um, – to build economy on addiction, and it relies on addicts. It relies on people struggling through their lifetime, and that, to me, is when you're gonna. When we start to talk to, to talk about it at that level, that's when we remove the stigma of addiction, because it's not about choice. When young people don't have the information to know that they're a unit of profit, they're born a potential unit of profit to this industry and this scheme, this economic. I call it addiction economics. So. This, you know, when they're born as a, as a potential unit of profit and no one's talking to them about that and that's not in our curricula and the schools and that's not where parents start in their starting point, we're not going to make a dent in the stigma of addiction because it always comes down to choice. But these kids don't have, our, our parents and our young people don't even have the information to make a good choice because they, they, all we do is talk about the harms. We don't talk about the big, 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 big business behind it. Right. And that's where I think... I would love to mobilize some of the people in recovery. I mean, if they look at when did they start? A lot of people, most people who are, have had struggles with addiction started before the age of 21. Right. So that's, that's where we come from. And we just want to keep, we want drug policy that is informed by science. And we want control and regulation that is driven through a public health lens. But when it's driven by an industry and by representatives of the industry, for example, our Cannabis Control Commission has one of the strongest cannabis lobbyists in the country sitting on it, who helped pass Amendment 64 in Colorado and then moved into Massachusetts and now sits on our Cannabis Control Board. That's a problem. Right. That's when we're not getting accurate information. And now you've got industry regulating and controlling itself. It's called regulatory capture. And the public are sitting ducks in this. And that means our next generation are sitting ducks in this. Right. And, you know, it's um, it's yeah, the very – so I, this is, Heidi, you're the third um, episode when I was just trying to cover some information on recreational marijuana. 
Um, and if you guys are uh, listening, if you're tuning in right now, if you're watching Facebook Live, we have Heidi Heilman, and she's from Mass Prevention Alliances. Um, she's been involved with marijuana um, right in to start beginning right around 2008 when they um, decriminalized it, and she's been involved with a bunch of other uh, people. Um, and f even when in 2012, when they um, um, legalized the medical uh, side of marijuana, so she they've been involved with this for quite some time. She has a lot of information, um, and he, I, the very first uh, video that I uh, that we did on the marijuana, I played the actual commercials that they were playing here in Massachusetts. Uh, t uh, Thomas Dolan, former Boston police officer, you know, it, I mean, you can look these up on YouTube. Um, yeah. and There's so much misinformation out there. There's so much misinformation and it's been driven. It's a, it's a campaign. I mean, the misinformation is deliberate and intentional. It's right. a camp to open a market. Um, it's the new thing. This freight train's coming. This freight train's coming. And if you're not on it, you know, if you're not on it to make your money and I'm like, you know, it's to me, I'm a much more idealist, idealist person. I, I don't believe in manufacturing addicts out of young people to build an economic structure. I do not believe in that, that model. And I think it's time we all start talking about it. Is it, you know, eth business and ethics, eth ethical business practices. And if these, if these industries were playing ethically, they wouldn't be sitting on our control boards, right? Regulating themselves, and they would be doing a lot more um, around no marketing, you know. But but it's not about that. It's about money. People, it's the value of money. Right. And um, what was it? You you just actually said something that made me think. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I, I do that all the time too. Brain freezing. Well, you know, I, it's important. Well, this is why we're here. Uh, we're not here to say that. Um, you know, medical marijuana doesn't work. If you're 21 or older and you can smoke it, go right ahead. What we want to do really now at this point is it's here. There's no way around it. Um, and uh, we're going to have to deal with it. And so what we really want to do is educate as much as possible so people can make the right decisions. People can talk to their kids. And yeah, that, people also have the option to call their representatives and their senators and say, you know what? Slow the spray train down. Right. You got it something different it's not okay to it's not okay to to have marketing everywhere it's not you know when if when this thing first passed i was sitting down at, i was sitting down in uh where was i I was in one of the theaters at a play broadway play and on the playbill was weed maps yes. and it was a and i i was like there and i looked around the audience it was two o'clock in the afternoon it was full of children like this is not okay we are going in the wrong direction we have already learned this lesson from, from alcohol, from tobacco, why are we allowing this to happen now? And, um, you know, that's, it's going to take a public to say, no, it's going to take awareness and people saying, this is not okay. And, and I think you're seeing that right now. Everybody's seeing that right now, community by community. They don't want this in their backyard. They don't, don't want their communities having, we don't need more drugs. And where, where there's more marijuana, more people use marijuana. And what does that look like? Right. You know, we, we have, we have what, 12% of the population has been using marijuana for the last, I don't know, 20 years. What's it going to look like when there's 60% of the population using marijuana? That's, that's frightening, given what the science is showing us. And there is, and, and just so people understand, there is science out there. So uh, uh, somebody uh, bought me this book, and I'm going to just throw it out there. Um, it's called Reef for Sanity. Uh, let me throw that up there. 
Uh, and it's by Kevin Sabet. Um, it's the seven great myths about marijuana. Um, and, you know, whether you agree with it or not, um, it's definitely, if you have children, if you're planning on having children, if you live in a community, at least, at the least you could do is begin to educate yourself because there's so much great information in here. Like I didn't, I was reading, Heidi, that um, there is um, there is a pill, uh, um, and I, I can't think of the name of it, but it's, yeah. a, it's a THC pill because, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. And, yes. It's, um, and it helps people with nausea. Uh, yes. in cancer patients, again, debilitating diseases. And um, and it's been around since uh, 85. Yes. So we've already, we already had that uh, up and rolling. Yeah. But yet all the advertisement I saw for ballot question four was, you know, medicinal and criminal and people were being locked up, which, which was a lie. So every time I hear the pro-marijuana people in our state say, we want to do the will of the voters, well, I think, you know, I always think, well, you know what, what, what the, what the voters were being told is not what we got. And no. what we got now is I smell marijuana every day I drive home from Boston. And so that tells me people are driving impaired. Um, I smell it in the movie theater, in the restaurant. My, uh, my brother, um, had to put his car in to get fixed. And, uh, my mother was telling me today that, uh, he picked up the rental car and it smelled like weed. So he had to take it back. Because he didn't want to drive it. He was like, he wanted another car. And if, um, you know, if your neighbor wants to grow it and smoke it on the back deck, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it now because it's here. Um, it's just. Yeah, and that's a problem. That's a problem for subs anybody in subsidized housing who raises kids. It's a real big problem. I've already had a lot of complaints about that. Like, how do we protect our kids from this when it's it's right next door? And that's. You know, we've done all this work around, you know, reducing tobacco smoke, and now we're we're in the, going in the opposite direction. There's there's so many issues with this, and it's it is a freight train, but it's not too late. It's not too late for the public to say, you know what, this is this is not where we want to go. And some people are saying um, Colorado's going to repeal. Colorado's got such a mess going on right now with violence and cartels and people moving in there and shipping black mar marijuana, and their enforcement is taxing. And I just saw a headline about that today. They have the worst opioid. Um, crisis going on right now. They have their their young people are using, you know, in the first year, their eighth graders were using 350 percent higher than the rest of the rest of the eighth graders in the nation. I mean, that's failed drug policy. That's failed drug policy. And it's time, I think, for you know, I always say this is sort of a woman's issue. Moms have to stand up and say, stop manufacturing addicts out of our children. Yeah. It is not okay. Their their brains are primed for addiction. They're developing brains. And it's time for moms and dads to stand up and take and, and, and start to fight back. And that's what we had to do with pollution to get pollution out of our uh, you know, and toxic waste out of our, our water supply. Yeah. So we do it again. It takes a movement, but I think that's the kind of awareness we're trying to, to raise around this issue. And and uh, the you know we if we've legalized and we have now government protected marijuana. There's ways to put in controls and regulations so that we don't have to see a you know so that we don't have to drive a new THC addiction epidemic. Heidi, um, Heidi, do you know if I can in the Colorado schools? I know like um, when Colorado uh, legalized. Um, you know, they weren't prepared for everything that they got, obviously. Do they um, have anything in the schools now to educate the kids on the, the marijuana and the high-potency THCs? And, you know, I, I think, mean, 
I think every community is grappling with that. Um, and, uh, and it's a big problem. Um, so it's, you know, people have a little homegrown, you know, homegrown curricula. I mean, that's where, I, that's where I'm putting my kind of my, my value at the table now at this point, because, um, we don't have good drug prevention education in this country. If we did, if we did, we wouldn't have this soaring, growing problem on all levels. And we've had this problem for a long time. It's not like it's just came out yesterday. Our curricula right now in our schools is no match for the everyday competing messages of good and bad about drug use for our kids. And, that's, and part of it is because they're not talking about the big industry practices and the tactics and the strategies that lure in our young people. And those strategies go to like places like Hollywood, when you see all these films, you know, with kids using and it's cool and it's hip and the vape pens, dual pens. And, you know, there's a whole culture built around this. And that's, that's a big part of our, our problem. Right. Um, yeah, I remember uh, Cheech and Chong. Remember the Cheech and Chong movies? You know? Yes. And um, no, um, I yeah. know it's it's time. Honestly, I'm tired. I'm tired because we haven't even we we didn't even we haven't even got a hold of the whole opiate crisis. And now you know it's like they throw right. this at you. It's like, are you, come on, are you kidding me? But yeah. Productive. It's it's putting us in the. It's you know Colorado's driving this country into a whole new level of addiction economics and and where a large population addiction is happening, mass population addiction, and that is a that is failed drug policy. So Heidi, what would you suggest to like parents that are watching for their kids? And I, you know we had um, back in December. I had. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Ruth Pote? Yes, she's wonderful, wonderful, yes. wonderful. Uh, does a great presentation on the undeveloped mind in addiction yeah. and everything. And, you yeah. know, as she says, um, the best thing you can do for your kids is because this stuff is out there. You know, we see it in the movies. We saw it when we were growing up um, is to, get, you know, educate your kids, but delay, delay, delay. The longer that you can delay any type of use, um, like uh, adolescent use in, in cigarettes, alcohol, marijuana, um, the better – the, the percentage after the age of, say, 23, 24, when the mind fully develops, the uh, the uh, percentages, um, y your chances of not becoming addicted are huge. And so, Heidi, do you have any suggestions to parents that are watching? Like, where can they go? What can they do to, to begin to educate themselves so they can talk to their kids? What, what would you suggest? Well, I would suggest they, they um, start talking about the big business of, of – you know, addiction economics, that, that every young person is a, is a potential unit of profit and that they're the one you want. They, I mean, they're, you're the one they want, sorry, I worded that wrong, but you're the one they want. They want you to be a, a consumer of their product for the rest of your lifetime. And that lifetime might end at 32 if you use at that level. Yeah. And that's all right, because there's another kid behind you who's going to take your place. So that's the problem with this. I mean, I, you know, there was a young person who died just two weeks ago from, from a relapse. And it's just sad to see because there are kids in their 20s. And it's, it's, ter it's terrible. And, and it's all because of a big, big business scheme. And I, I think if parents really want to learn about it, they should, be t they should be looking at the SAM websites, you know, learn about SAM.org and reading about it there. And they also should be understand that there's, it's such a big business that there's a lot of, there's a lot of the media behind it. I mean, this is the next advertising 
you know, this is the next advertising uh, revenue that's coming in is, is we want to, we want to advertise the foods and the products that are, that are going to push and advance the sales of cannabis. And that's, you know, that's how addiction economy works. You, we have things on one side of production and research and lobbyists and lawyers and, and um, you know, you name it, designers and to, to sell the products. They're, they're people's, uh, let's see, people's livelihoods depend on selling addictive products. And then on the other end, we have intervention and treatment and recovery and incarceration and prisons and, um, you know, morgues and, you know, uh, all the cleanup costs to, to DUIs and enforcement and hospitals. It's, yeah. hospitals. it's an enormous, enormous economic structure that is at the same time fueling, you know, some revenues going to a small population of, of people, right? There's, there's big money to make, but it's only a handful of people making that big, big money. Right. right. Stream from that is all the targeted people who can't pay their taxes and can't get healthcare and can't get, and, and now we need to rely on our government more. So that's going to be sucked out from taxpayer dollars. I mean, the economics just don't work. And we've learned that over and over and over from our opioid epidemic, our tobacco epidemic and our alcohol epidemic, frankly, but people don't even know about the world health organization. Um, all their research showing that these these commodities drive um, they drive disease, yeah. they drive cancers and heart heart problems and you know you name it and that's where they drive costs po large population costs. You know what's um, is interesting. So I know like um, tobacco tobacco use is down among the um, the youth. Uh, it's um, uh, we have a, a bunch of uh, young. Um, adults in our community that have been tackling the tobacco uh, regulations and everything and been very active. Um, but this is how slick the tobacco companies are. They, they put in those flavored tobaccos because they know that the smoking is down. So you know what? Let's, let's present uh, these other tobacco products uh, that they can market to the kids. And so just so people watch and get it, um, the jewels, which are the little vape uh, pens now, are, are very, very popular among the um, the kids. They have these little cartridges. You can, uh, what is I think it's called J U U L. I think is the uh, correct yeah. spelling. And yes. you know, Google them and look at them and see if they're in your house. Because uh, why is that important? Because first of all, it's tobacco. And well, they pack it. the kids pack um, high potency THC in those now. Yes, and that was what I was going to say, Heidi. Is that um, again, the oils um, they can they can uh, vape the uh, the marijuana, and you know why that's really important for people, and and um, is because in order for them to um, extract those oils from the plant, uh, it's highly flammable. You have to use butane to do yeah. it. So you know, I tell people YouTube uh, hash oil explosions. We've already had. I know there was one in Walpole. I'm sure there's more um, in the state, but there'll be more coming because kids, kids don't think about that stuff. They'll go ahead and they'll do it. And, um, you know, um, so, uh, you know, there's just so many problems coming with this. Um, <sighs> yeah, and we've seen like, okay, so there's so many, there's so many, there's so much information about this. A couple of things that make me think, made me think one is that tobacco's next product line is marijuana. So they're, right. you know, they're, they're going to be making THC products and, and tobacco, nicotine, and THC products. I mean, don't kid yourselves. This they have the what is it? They they even are quoted in their memos to say we have the land to to grow it, 
the, the manufacturing to, you know, to, to produce it and the, and the distribution to sell it everywhere. And that's, that's what's going to happen. It's, a, it's their alternative product line. The other thing I was going to say is we know from other countries that there are models that work for preventing. Like Iceland used to boast the worst um, drug and alcohol, youth drug and alcohol rates in the, um, in the European Union. And now over a 15 year to 20 year period, they've brought, they now boast the lowest youth uh, drug and alcohol rates. And they did it very, very strategically. And they've gone from seven youth treatment centers to one wow. in a 20 year period. So we know the model can work. And their model is they got the parents, the parents became outraged because so, so many bad things were happening. And they started to, they don't allow any, any alcohol marketing. Um, alcohol is, is controlled by the government, meaning um, it's not a private system, although alcohol is knocking on their door to become a private um, system, but it's right. been a government-run um, operation. They don't allow any marketing, and they've built in like serious structures for young people. Now, they have 1% of the U.S. Mar um, population, and they also have a border that's very controllable, you know, that you can't, you know, you can really uh, control, control those borders because it's so small. And they have all these regulations in place, including a curfew for kids. Kids can't go out after dark um, at, at 10 o'clock in the evening on school during the school year, and they can't go out after midnight on, in the summer. But all the parents buy into that. But the other piece that they've done is they've, they've invested a large sum of money in alternatives for young people to keep them active and thriving in their interests, so arts and sports and name it. It's quite, quite something. And it's a model that every, every community could move to, but every community has to have all full stakeholder buy-in to make it happen. And it's a big investment. It's a, it's an enormous amount of work and it would take five years to implement, but it's good. It's, it's a good, it's worth your investment if you can bring down the youth rates so that you, you know, so that we don't have as many treatment centers or needs for recovery high schools, which we, we continue to grow that that industry here in Massachusetts. Well, you're going to be up against um, the lobbyists, the, the pro-marijuana lobbyists, and um, I'm sure they'll be out there uh, at every turn trying to stop uh, whatever the communities are going to try to do to protect their children. But, but um, So, Heidi, we're pretty much about that time. I, um, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on and, and talking to us and educating people. Uh, that's all we want to do here with Rock Bottom to Recovery. Uh, the podcast uh, was started because, um, you know, we want to explore all roads to recovery. But if you're in recovery, it's because you've, um, you've struggled with substance use disorder. And so we know for a fact that the more education that you get, uh, the smarter choices you can make and healthier choices. So, um, Heidi, it was awesome to have you on. Uh, Heidi is from the Mass Prevention Alliances. And uh, when I um, post this uh, video, I will actually put the link um, to you. that so people can go to their um, – to their webpage and check out and see what they have um, let me on our webpage. I want us to let the people know, again, we are all volunteer and all of our, our financial um, uh, solicitations to date have gone to um, help these campaigns and help people run these campaigns to, to get information out for, um, you know, to get information out to the public. So we've, we haven't done fundraising because we didn't want to compete with those campaigns um, and anything we participated in was to help with those the fundraising raising these as volunteers working on on stuff but we are in need you know if you look at our website you'll see we we need contributions and we need we are the only group in the state of massachusetts 
working solely on prevention. Our mission is to protect young people from drugs and alcohol through sound policy and, and policy measures and through advocating and educating for our young people. So I would, I really, um, if people like the message and would like to see more of it, we, we really are, we're in our infancy stages and we could really use support. And the support has to come through private donation. We will no longer take any government money because here's the other thing that people don't understand is that a lot of the times when things get so politicized, like addiction, addiction has become politicized through this issue with marijuana. There's a lot people can't say in the public health sector because their, their funding is tied to public funding streams and it's considered lobbying. So when medical marijuana was out there and being pushed, the Department of Public Health was mute on that issue. And they were mute because most of them were government-funded um, employees. So you, that's the problem is the public doesn't get information because it right. gets that political. And when you have lobbyists and lobby power and private dollars behind pushing an industry forward and you, you're relying on your government to protect you with good information, it's going to be a little lopsided. So we're the only we're the only private, um, privately private organization doing this work, and I I really would um, we'd love to have any contributions that people can can help with their time or their or their um, donations. Awesome, um, and that's the Mass Prevention Alliances, and uh, I'll put that link up um, on this video so you guys can uh, go and check it out and make that contribution because like um, Heidi said, this is this is the only place where you're getting the other side of the information. You know, I mean, they, these are all volunteers, and they're, they're really, all they really want to do is educate and get the word out what the, um, the uh, dangers of um, the legalization of recreational marijuana is going to do to our youth. I can't stress that enough, to our, our youth. Future. Our future. Our, our future. future, exactly. And so um, uh, we do appreciate um, everybody watching. Um, and thank you. And, and, you know, message us and let us know what you think, if you like it, if you didn't like it, what you'd like to see. I do have um, I have some uh, some guest speakers coming up for the month of June. Um, I have a, a gentleman, Jay Keefe. He's going to come on. He wrote a book about um, alcohol addiction. And um, I have um, who else do I have? I actually have a few other people. I'm going to be posting that, too. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Heidi, I'm going to um, – I think I'll, uh, I don't know how to, how do I turn this off, uh, Dylan, do you know? Heidi, thank you so much. Um, pleasure. It yeah, was a pleasure. It was awesome. I'm so glad you came on and Thanks, oh, I just got to tap the screen. Take care, Heidi. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. I gotcha. See ya. That was cool. All right, guys. That was awesome. Um, and so if uh, we, we had to go off of my iPad cause we we're having trouble with the other, um, the other iPad. Usually we have um, I guess speaker up on the screen so everybody can see them. But um, go back, watch the video if you like it. Um, um, rock, uh, rock Bottom to Recovery actually kind of came about through the Hobart Cares Coalition. Uh, they actually met last night. I wasn't able to attend that because I was uh, off um, doing some other stuff for um, some veterans. And um, But I think... Um, Last night they had the grandparents raising grandkids, and so go to the Hobart Cares uh, Coalition Facebook page, uh, check out that information. They got a lot of resources there. I know they're always updating. Uh, excuse me, the bed lists. Um, if you guys uh, need somebody uh, that needs to get a bed or get into uh, some type of um, uh, a recovery place, 
there's a lot of great resources there. They actually meet the every first Tuesday of the month at the Holbrook Town Hall from 7 to 9 o'clock. That's Holbrook Cares Coalition. Check out the Facebook page. Um, check out the Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page um, where I'll be posting this video. Like I said, we're at number 24, I think. So there's 24 other videos, and we discuss a lot of different things that deal with uh, recovery. So um, thanks, guys, for tuning in. And um, uh, let me plug this one more time because I just – I. Somebody got me this book, and I thought it was really good, Reefer Sanity. And it's the seven great myths about marijuana. And, again, whether you agree with it, you smoke it, and it works for you, that's fantastic. We love that. We're glad that it does work for you. Um, if it doesn't or you want to educate yourself, um, there's a lot of great information. talks about research that's been going on for quite some time between the medicinal and the recreational. And uh, that's it. So, guys, have a great day. Be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.